1: throughout history and up to modern times. We invite you to pull up a chair,
0: put in your earbuds, and allow us to enlighten, educate, and explore the real reasons why Black African Americans are so angry. Because until you know the whole history, it isn't American history at all. Well, you know, Courtney, someone once said, history is never dead. It crawls its way into our present And shapes our future. Now, the purpose of our podcast has been to show how systemic racism throughout American history crawls into our present. And our singular mission is to get listeners to see, say, and confront that systemic racism. Now, ultimately, we want listeners to follow the through line of systemically racist incidents from the past to connect them to what's happening in America in the present so we don't have to relive those types of incidents in the future. Now, right now, we have a real-time example of history crawling into our present. The news stories about governors in Arizona, Florida, and Texas busing and flying thousands of migrant asylum seekers, most of whom are people of color, to towns in the north, those stories have an eerie similarity to a historic incident known as the reverse freedom ride campaign of 1962.
1: That's right, Carol. The story of the reverse freedom riders has been buried in history. In fact, if it weren't for these recent news stories about uh, migrants being shipped to New York, Chicago, um, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, we probably wouldn't even know about this historic event. But fortunately, the NPR program Code Switch, which we credit for much of the information that we gleaned for this episode, recently did a show on that incident.
0: That's true, Courtney. And the history of the reverse freedom rides is is largely unknown, but before we can get a handle on what those were, first we have to understand what the original Freedom Rides were all about.
1: Well, I can take that one in, Carol, and I'll begin by reminding our listeners that in the early 60s, where a lot of us were still alive, I wasn't, but a lot of our listeners were alive in the early 60s, southern states still functioned under the Jim Crow system. This meant systemic racism was rampant. Because in every aspect of life, policies, procedures, practices, and laws kept Blacks and Whites separate and definitely unequal. In mid-1961, the Congress of Racial Equality organized a series of freedom rides in which interracial groups rode Greyhound buses through southern states. Now, they planned to test if the Supreme Court's ban on segregated facilities serving interstate travel was being upheld. The riders actually knew the answer. The buses were still segregated in the South, but they wanted to make the point and bring segregation to an end. The Freedom Riders notoriously encountered regular and very brutal backlash from local residents and law enforcement officials who terrorized and illegally arrested them right along with beating them. And a lot of these kids were, they were teens. They were kids. Now, horrific photos of bloodied riders and the shell of a firebomb bus filled newspapers across the country. And I think a demographic of our readers will actually remember seeing that going on in real time.
0: I did. I remember seeing those uh, photographs and it was terrifying. It was just horrible
1: and that you know that like you said we're showing history crawling up into the present that was your present and my history, just like George Floyd will be my history and my kids and uh, my present and my kids and grandkids past. So there's that through line you were talking about. Mm-hmm. But the the Freedom Riders exposed the violent lawlessness of the South and its dogged determination to uphold segregation. Well, and Courtney, it was because of that very violence that a group uh, throughout
0: the Southern states known as the the White Citizens Council, uh, they stepped up. Now, they were established in 1954 as a major pushback to the Supreme Court Brown versus Board of Education desegregation order, and the council became the most powerful political force organized in opposition to racial integration. Now, at its peak, White Citizens' Councils claimed a membership of at least 300,000. Think of them as, you know, business, you know, kind of like the business suit version of the KKK. And by the early 1960s, however, their power was starting to decline. So in 1962, a year after those uh, freedom rides, the reverse freedom rides were conceived both as a way to restore the declining political influence of the White Citizens Council and as a public relations exercise intended to embarrass Northern liberals. Now, this is how it worked. The idea was to send thousands of unemployed Blacks north to test the goodwill of Northerners who supported the Freedom Riders and criticized Southern segregation. And the Citizens Council of America even went so far as to support a bill proposed by Louisiana Senator Russell B. Long for voluntary repatriation of Blacks to
1: Africa. Well, I think I found a new nominee for the, the Rutherford B. Hayes Award this year, Carol. <laughs> I think you um, <laughs> I've got a list and he's on it. So who dreamed up this inhumane idea and what did it involve? Well, this might be another one of your nominees
0: for the Rutherford B. Hayes Award, so keep him in mind. One of the architects of that campaign was a man named George Singleman of the Greater New Orleans Citizen Council. Now, his plan was to show that Northern white liberals who supported the f- Freedom Riders would not support Blacks who were dumped on their doorsteps. He believed that by sending thousands of Black people north, they would fail to find jobs, forcing them onto the already bulging welfare rolls of Northern cities. Then, If those same Northern liberals who denounced the racial tolerance of uh, or racial intolerance, I should say, of white Southerners proved unwilling to assist the riders, it would expose their support for the civil rights cause as fraudulent and hypocritical. And basically, Singleman said this, quote, he said, this is a crude way of putting it. We are telling the North to put up or shut up.
1: Oh wow, that sounds so familiar. Mm -hmm. So he's going on the list too, but a single man was playing this game of poker, even like a game of chicken, like two cars on, on the road calling the bluff of northerners.
0: Yep, that's one way of putting it. Singleman also wanted to remove blacks from the welfare rolls in Southern states because he saw them basically as an unnecessary drain on state resources. Consequently, those white citizen councils, they actively recruited indigent men, single mothers with lots of kids, some of them with as many as 11 children. They even enlisted soon-to-be-released prisoners to go north. Now, they assured all of these folks that uh, when they got there, they'd get jobs, they'd get help finding housing, and overall, they'd find a better life in the north. Now, cruelly, some of the Black people who agreed to take the bus rides were threatened with having their welfare payments cut off if they didn't go. So, after paying their bus fare and giving them small stipends, those uh, Citizens Council folks transported Blacks to cities where politicians had been most outspoken in their support of racial integration. They sent them north. Now, often, the people being bused weren't even sure where they were going or who would meet them when they arrived, although some of them were actually told President Kennedy himself would greet their buses.
1: Wow. That... um kind of like dropping off uh, some migrants at Kamala Harris's house. Mm, Sounds familiar. This is starting to connect. I'm connecting the dots. But also, wasn't the plot a way for the South to rid itself of a very large rural Black population that was starting to begin to mobilize and vote?
0: Yes, yes, you're right. You're right, my dear niece. That was another reason. It would mitigate the efforts to register and get black people uh, from voting in Southern states. Now in total, just over 200 Blacks were part of the reverse freedom rides traveling to metropolitan centers such as Chicago, Cleveland, New York City, Los Angeles, and others. Now, the ultimate plan was to send thousands of people north by train loads, but the campaign actually ran out of money and eventually fizzled. But before that happened, the Capital Citizens Council of Little Rock sent the largest contention to Hyannis, Massachusetts. And our listeners will probably recognize that as the summer holiday retreat of the Kennedy family.
1: Oh yeah, and it was actually featured in our fashion episode because that's where Jackie O got married. So we did feature this, this place in one of our, that's a through line for our podcast. But this is starting to sound like retaliation, especially since one of the places where people were bused from was Little Rock, Rock, Arkansas. And for people that know about school integration and the history of that, That's where the Little Rock Nine um, integrated Little Rock High School under federal order. And I know we've seen those pictures um, of the kids stoically going into school and teens and adults yelling and screaming at kids just going to high school. But what do the reverse freedom rides have to do with the real-time situation that we see on our news screens almost every night involving migrants in Texas, Arizona, and Florida? Well, yeah, that's a good question, my dear niece. And when we come back from
0: the break, we'll talk about the similarities between reverse fe- freedom rides and the transport of asylum-seeking migrants. You might say, We're about to see a very good example of how history is crawling into the present. Want to learn more about systemic racism? Or maybe you want to leave us a comment, rate our show, subscribe, get lots of swag, or reach out to us on social media. Well, you can. Go to our website, www.podpage.com, why are they so angry, and connect with Courtney and me. You can even sign up to take our course, Systemic Racism, See It, Say It, Confront It. All that waiting for you at www.podpage.com. Why are they so angry? See you there. Well, now, Courtney, before the break, we talked about the reverse freedom rides when white Southern segregationists tricked hundreds of Black Americans into moving North, promising them they would find jobs and housing in liberal states. So let's bring this into the present. Spokespersons at the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library, they have drawn a parallel between the reverse freedom rides of 1962 and the present day migrant crisis. They've said, just like in 1962, In 2022, Texas, Arizona and Florida state officials are loading migrants onto buses and planes,
1: then sending them to northern cities. Well, to be honest and Carol, there are a lot of similarities between the two situations, and I've been pointing them out as we hit bullet point by bullet point. But one of the first similarities is both of these groups, uh, the migrants from South America and the African-Americans from the American South were promised jobs, shelter and a better life wherever they were going. So when the migrants arrived um, on Martha's Vineyard Island, they didn't know exactly where they were going. They didn't have a destination. They knew that they were promised jobs and housing. And one migrant even said a woman named Perla had recruited them to take the bus trip. A group of Venezuelan asylum seekers were told that good jobs and housing, as well as expedited work permits, awaited them in Boston. The migrants were transported instead without their knowledge to Martha's Vineyard. Like the Citizens Council told Black people in the 60s, Governor DeSantis, who is at the top of my list as this year's uh, Rutherford B. Hayes award winner. Now let's not get political. Oh, no, I'm not getting political. But after this quote, you'll see why he is a bright and shining nominee. He said that he was helping migrants to go to greener pastures in sanctuary jurisdictions. How helpful, Ron?
0: Very very helpful. Now, the similarities are definitely there in this business of not knowing where they were going. The White Citizens Council offered Black Southerners bus fare and relocation uh, costs to buses in northern cities, where they said assistance in getting good jobs and housing awaited them. But they didn't always know for sure where they were going. And the council's leadership is quoted as saying, quote, President Kennedy's brother assured you a grand reception to Massachusetts. Good jobs, housing, and so on, our promise. Now, he was referring to Ted Kennedy, who at the time was running for a Senate seat.
1: It's it's devious. Like, we're laughing and it's funny, but that has to be terrifying. Absolutely. To not know where you're going, to load your children up onto a bus in hopes Of a better life the south was under jim crow in the 60s a lot of these migrants are running away from very very dangerous situations to this american dream that they believe in and they're being lied to and moved around like political pawns like a joke like we said like a game of chicken or a poker game and these are real people now both groups were provided transportation Texas spent more than $12 million bussing migrants to Washington and New York as of August 2022. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis flew two planes, two airplanes, of immigrants to Martha's Vineyard to what end?
0: And that's not cheap. Flying two planes is expensive. Now, we see the same with the reverse freedom rides. Advertisements uh, were in the newspapers in those southern states, and they said things like this, free transportation plus $5 for expenses to any Negro man, woman, or family, no limit to size, who desire to migrate to the nation's capital or any city north of their choosing. So money was spent. Blacks were given bus fare, small stipends, and sometimes they were even given lunch to carry on the buses. So there was an investment made to just like the uh, Venezuelans that have been sent north, there's an investment being made to get these people out of the south and up to the north.
1: And in the 60s, this was still the time of the Great Migration. So stories would have been coming back from relatives in the north that would make some of these shady claims true. True. Or sound um, true or or sound sound true. true. Right. And I'm sure that when people are coming over the border from South America, they know of people who have crossed over and have started their life. So once again, a kernel of truth and a big vat of a lie. Is giving these people hope. And it's very dangerous. You don't know, you know, what could could happen to these people. Now, both groups were sent to cities and states that are portrayed as being sympathetic to their cause. The migrants have been sent to what's known as blue states that have immigration sanctuary cities. Governor Abbott has directed the Texas Division of Emergency Management to charter buses to transport migrants to Washington, D.C., New York City, and Chicago. Uh, There is even an online site where people can donate money to pay for the buses. I feel very weird about Chicago because a lot of the states that are sending people to Chicago Illinois, also refer to Chicago, Illinois, as one of the most dangerous cities in America. Mm -hmm. So either it's a sanctuary or it's a death trap. Which one is it? Mm -hmm. Now, more than 9,400 Texas migrants have been dropped off in Washington since April of 2022, most of whom were left outside of Vice President Kamala Harris's residence. So this is ringing back to the Ted Kennedy will have a, you know, punch and cookies and we'll have a reception for you or the Kennedys will meet you. And that also may turn those people a sour note to these people that had no idea they were coming. Yeah, but I no. think that's that's the goal, to prove a point that, that nobody yes. wants you here.
0: That Yes, exactly. And that's a cool part of it as well. Now, the reverse freedom uh, ride migrants, they also were shuffled to cities and locations that Southerners deemed liberal havens that supported integration. And particularly, they were sent to the states where liberal politicians lived. The Citizens Council believed that hoisting their problems off on Northerners would give them a taste of their own medicine, and that's sad to say that they thought of Black people as a problem. Now, in addition to sending them north, they figured that this was going to strain the welfare systems in those states and then cause a backlash against Black people. Now, many of the reverse freedom riders, eventually they ended up having to take low-paying jobs. They ended up, some of them on welfare, and some of them even had to return South.
1: So it it did backfire. And it's always that trope of, if we send poor brown people somewhere, their only recourse is to go on welfare. Meanwhile, millions of Black people were trying to escape the South and get jobs and work. But it's those old tropes of, ever since Black people stopped working for free, they're lazy. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the fear of migrants taking jobs. So, and, and overloading, you know, the system. So again, it's that through line, different time, different people, but the same song. Mm -hmm. Now the media coverage has been ongoing since the migrant transport started in this year, in 2022, uh, ratcheting up as governor's vow to send more migrants North. And this was the same case in
0: 1962, Courtney. George Singleman, remember the man who dreamed all this up? He was a skilled media person and he took every opportunity to have reporters present when people were boarding buses going north or even arriving at their destinations. And basically, it was his attempt to manipulate the media to uh, the segregationist political advantage. And he made it a point to tell reporters that trainloads, trainloads of Blacks would eventually be sent North.
1: And if we've learned anything from our podcast is that racism in the North is the same as racism in the South. So that stirring up that fear is exactly what he wanted to do. But Mm -hmm. there is a through line between the migrants Um, of today and the the African-Americans of the 60s. They wanted a better life. People just don't wake up one day and leave their homes and everything they know and their family without a good reason. When things get desperate, people will literally vote with their feet by leaving the known for the unknown. We've seen it so many times in history with so many different groups. Now, since they can't imagine the unknown is worse than their current situation. So imagine being somewhere so bad that you would pick up, get on an unknown plane, unknown bus with promise after promise of finding a better life because what you know is a literal living nightmare. Now, one Venezuelan migrant said, we're going hungry. We could not stay there There is nothing. If you get sick, you die. There is no future there. There is a future here.
0: Now, those writers back in the 60s were just like the migrants you described in that quote. They wanted a better life. The South was a grueling existence for Blacks in 1962, Courtney. For example, 62.8% of Southern Blacks live below the poverty level. So the chance at a job, decent housing, and escaping Jim Crow in the South was, uh, you know, being able to get those things, that was appealing. Now, one of the folks that boarded a bus was a man named Richard Wright. He was an unemployed teacher who relocated to New York. Now, he said he despised the Citizens Council, but like many of the Black people who agreed to board the buses, he accepted their offer of support because it was his only chance to secure a job since, in his words, it was a matter of survival, just like that man from uh, that Venezuelan that you quote, quoted. It was all about trying to live because where they were was not uh, conducive to a life. And Betty Williams, who was 18 at the time of the move, told WGBH um, station that her mother, Leela May, was trying to give her nine children a better life. And that's why she boarded the buses with her children and moved north. And uh, Betty Williams said they were told President Kennedy would meet them when they got off the bus. And Leela May was so excited about that. Before the bus arrived in Hy- Hyannisport, she even asked to get off the bus so she could change into her best clothing in preparation to meet
1: the president. Wow, that is, that's something. Yeah, she believed, <laughs> she believed the big lie. Now, the public response to the migrant transport then and now sounds similar too. Now, New York City officials said they were initially caught off guard with the almost daily unannounced arrival of charters. But they mobilized with the help of nonprofits to set up receiving areas at the terminal. The migrants received medical attention, rapid COVID-19 tests, food, clothing, prepaid phones, Toiletries and legal assistance and transportation to a temporary uh, shelter. Many arrived without money, just the clothes on their back. So that was a welcome. I'm sure the people who sent them wanted them to have a nightmare experience, but once things got organized, they were able to help. Now, State Representative Dylan Fernandez, who represents Martha's Vineyard, tweeted, our island jumped into action, putting together 50 beds, giving everyone a good meal, providing a play area for the children, making sure people have the health care and support they need. We are a community that comes together to support immigrants. Well, Courtney, back in 1962, the people... Uh,
0: in Hyannisport responded like they are responding in Martha's Vineyard in 2022. When they heard that more reverse freedom riders were on their way, religious leaders, the local NAACP chapter, and some concerned citizens teamed up to help. Uh, The group was half Black and half White, and they divided the task and gave themselves a name, the Refugee Relief Committee. And there's a celebrated civil rights activist named Margaret Mosley, who was very integral to this uh, this this effort to help those folks coming north. She carried the bus schedule with her and uh, was ready to meet everyone when they arrived. And in an interview in 1994, she said most of the people who came had only a shopping bag with perhaps one change of clothing. They arrived with no money. Knowing nobody, they were homeless, broke, and tired. And like the migrants today, the writers were sent to makeshift housing like military bases and college dorms, and they were given food and clothing and uh, all types of support because they came again. Just like these Venezuelans, they they ended up in Hyannisport with just about nothing.
1: Now, some people believe Sending migrants to northern cities is politically motivated. Now, we try to stay balanced on our podcast, um, but I think we feel the same way, kind of, sort of, <laughs> because of the through line, because of the research, it may be political. But let's look. Now, in August 2022, Texas had bussed nearly 9,000 migrants to New York City and Washington, D.C. as Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, has sought to highlight what he has said Biden's administration's failure to secure the border. Now, Texas reported in August of this year that more than 7,400 migrants have been transported by the state to Washington, D.C. since April, and about 1,500 to New York City, providing what Abbott's office ter- termed much-needed relief for our overwhelmed border communities. Mm. And. What's
0: interesting is that that relief could be provided at the borders. The people wouldn't have to be put on buses or planes and sent away because the money that was being, that is being used to send them away could actually be used to help them. But mm, that's not the case. So let's go back to those freedom riders. And back in 1962, the Black people who were sent north were unwitting pawns in an act of reprisal. Um, remember those Freedom Riders? Well, Attorney General Robert Kennedy had instructed the Interstate Commerce Commission to desegregate interstate bus terminals. And so that meant it was uh, illegal to ride or or for buses to be segregated. And so the uh, Southern White citizens' councils made no bones about the fact that sending these folks north on those buses was pushback, and it was basically a slap at Robert Kennedy. Overall, Southerners resisted and did everything they could to prevent integration, so the reverse freedom rides uh, was a palpable pushback on any efforts at integration in the South.
1: Stories like these are heartbreaking. Especially see, since it seems that people have not learned their history lessons, or history has been covered up in this case, or at the very worst, they're actually ignoring history to repeat the same action over and over again. Here we see helpless people in a hopeless condition caught in a social and political maelstrom.
0: We often tell heartbreaking stories like these, Courtney, but we don't tell them to break hearts. We tell these stories some of which are wrought with angst, horror, sadness, and even terror, not to evoke pity about the trauma blacks have endured or to sensationalize American history or to shame or punish white people. We have to find our courage to tell the truth, says Brian Stevenson, and that's what we're here to do. We tell these stories as the unvarnished truth about our country warts and all, because we believe America and its people have the ability to hear the truth, then make our country better as a result. Just like the people who jumped to the aid of the writers in 1962 and the migrants in 2022, Americans are prone to do the right thing when they know their history and understand it. Now, it's not enough to hear the stories and say to yourself, Oh, what a shame. What we expect is for our listeners to take responsibility within their own sphere of influence and do something about the systemic racism that still exists in America. A writer once said, quote, I suddenly realized that it is important to never lose sight and insight of the fact that what is happening today has happened yesterday and will probably happen tomorrow as well if we don't truly understand, learn from, and interrogate history. So don't just listen to our podcast, folks. Interrogate the history, then pledge yourself to act on what you learn. Now, of course, our listeners can't take on every battle to see, say, and confront systemic racism, but they're not powerless, Courtney. So what can folks do in their spheres of influence to confront systemic racism.
1: Well, and Carol, they can take a stand. When you see something, say something. Come out publicly as an anti-racist. It's not enough just to say, I'm not a racist person. You have to be anti-racism. Commit to action. Share the actions you're taking publicly and invite others to join you. Call out your friends, call out your family. Those conversations are going to be hard, but that's all what is all what goes into taking a stand against racism. Now you have to be willing to put something on the line. You have a role to play. Just don't be a part of the unintentional problem. Be intentional about the change and actions that you take. Educate yourself and other people. Now we have the podcast and everybody can't do that, but it's our responsibility to intentionally seek out resources to learn the ugly truth. You just can't depend on why are they so angry. You have to dig into those books. If you want to learn how we got to where we are today, you have to dig in. Keep learning about anti-racism advocacy. You can support Black-owned businesses. Intentionally buy from and support as well as uplift Black-owned businesses, both small and large, local and national, in your workplace and at home. Advocate for your employers to take a stand uh, against racism. Tell your employer you expect that they will have and implement policies internally to combat bias. Now, if you're in a position of power or leadership, make sure that those policies and practices and procedures that are in your workplace do not create a systemically racist work environment. Build solidarity, seek out and support organizations doing racial justice work in your community. There is both safety and power in numbers work to end police violence, attend city council meetings and monitor police activities. Even if you think the cops where you live are the best cops in the world, make sure that you're monitoring their activities and taking a part in city council meetings. I can't stress that enough. Speak out and ask questions about what your local police department is doing in your community and what they will continue to do to prevent the abuse of power and violence towards black residents. And finally, vote. Register to vote, encourage your network and sphere of influence to register to vote and vote in every election. My grandfather said that he would even vote for the dog catcher and I have taken that on. I vote in every, every single election in my town. I don't take it for granted because change starts locally. Now, protests raise public awareness and they highlight injustice. But the change can only happen when the elected officials throughout all levels of government, even that dog catcher, is the type of politician that's going to support us.
0: Well, Courtney, that's quite a list. And I think everything you said is very important. Voting, though, seems to be most critical. Because remember, when we talked about the reverse freedom rides and the migrant transports of the day, A lot of those had to do with political leaders making some choices. So voting is critical. And that's just the first step. Knowing who and what to vote for is critical. Now, I may step on some toes here, but here are some concrete ways to use your vote and voice to impact systemic racism. First and foremost, advocate for fair housing. Tell the White House to re-implement the 2015 Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Rule and tell your congressperson to pass the American Housing and Economic Mobility Act to redress the legacy of redlining and housing segregation. Advocate for universal broadband access. One quarter of Black households don't have traditional home broadband service, which means children living there don't have internet access, and much of education is being done through the internet. Reach out to the White House, reach out to the Federal uh, Communications Commission, and reach out to Congress and tell them to develop and implement plans to increase funding for universal access broadband. Here's another one, advocate for voting rights. Ask the White House to create a new voting rights enforcement program to help ensure voting rights laws are upheld and redistricting process do not dilute voting power in black communities. And while you're at it, also call on Congress to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act to create a fair and equal national voting system. And finally, And this may get some people up in arms, but I'm going to say it anyway. Push for passage of H.R. 40. We cannot repair harms that we have not fully diagnosed. We must commit to a thorough examination of the impact of the legacy of chattel slavery on racial inequality today. Tell Congress to pass H.R. 40. That is the bill that establishes a commission to study reparations and make recommendations for Black Americans. No, no, Courtney, we are not here just to tell sensational stories and hidden history. Our motto is knowledge plus action equals power. So we fully expect our listeners to connect the past to the present. Then, Using some of the steps and some of the ideas that we've pointed out here today, you can use your power to see, say, and confront systemic racism in the here and now.
1: Well, that that's right in, Carol. I know this episode was a little bit different than our normal episodes, but this topic is poignant. It is history repeating itself in both of our lifetimes. So this quote sums it up for me. We keep thinking history happened to someone else. But history is where we came from, what happened before us, and it's how we got to where we are. So with that, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. As always, if you want to see what we're doing on social media, in the learning community, on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds, as well as catching up on old episodes of the podcast, reach out to us on www.podpage.com slash why are they so angry? That brings today's episode to a close. We hope you join us next time when we continue providing the answer to the question, why are they so angry? As always, we hope you learn something so you can see it, say it, and confront it.